You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. The rest of us, we're going to uh, kind of uh, wrap things up from Vacation Bible School as, uh, as there's been a theme developed throughout this week as we've had 175 plus children participating in this year's theme of Cave Quest. And uh, each, uh, and you might have seen this in the video earlier, but each evening of Vacation Bible School, uh, the children had a different buddy uh, present the theme for that night. So on day one, we had a particular buddy, that uh, Sal the Salamander, okay, who uh, reminds us that Jesus gives us hope. On day two, uh, we had another buddy tell us that Jesus gives us courage. On day three, Jesus gives us direction. Day four, Jesus, fi- uh, Jesus gives us love. And day five, Jesus gives us his power. Well, this uh, likewise, just as the children have had a big week, I've had a big week. After helping with Vacation Bible School on Monday, I traveled to Anaheim on Tuesday morning early and participated in in a conference out there called the North American Christian Convention with 5,000-plus uh, people, uh, and it was a great conference. It was incredible. And it was right across the street uh, from this buddy that some of you know, okay? And, uh, and even though I never got to the park, it was just right across the street. I could see some of the rides and see the park from where, uh, where I was at, but I wasn't going to pay $100 to go for uh, an hour break, okay? So I just uh, enjoyed it from afar. But during our week at the North American, we uh, talked about how that Jesus gives us a better story. And to develop that important theme for us today, uh, we're going to read together from the Bible a conversation that Jesus had with a particular individual. If you have your Bible, you can turn over to John chapter 4. You could just pull out the message insert and follow along. As we read an account in Scripture that we'll see that Jesus not only offered this person a better story, but he wants to offer each and every one of us a better story. But before we read this uh, fascinating interaction between Jesus and an individual that I find very uh, uh, endearing. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time that we could just be together and celebrate a, a fantastic week here at Southwest with uh, children being taught about you and, and your love and, and, and that Jesus was lifted up and held up for them to admire and to be drawn to. And I pray, Father, that those seeds of faith and, and that that message of that Jesus provides for them will we'll just resonate in their hearts and will grow so that they will be lifelong followers of Jesus. And Father, as we 
as we look a little closer at Jesus and the way he interacted with people today, I pray that you'll speak into our heart through your spirit that you have a better story in mind for each and every one of us. And for that matter, for every person on this earth. And so help us, Father, to really allow ourselves to get into this story so that we can see how you want to write a better story in our lives. We just commit this time to you and ask you to work powerfully. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, as we focus on this fantastic conversation, the context of this particular narrative is that Jesus and his first disciples uh, have begun to have quite an impact as it's recorded in John's gospel. And after celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem, which is more in the south, uh, Jesus and his disciples have been teaching, they have been baptizing, and because of that, the word is getting out and, 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 and they're worn out, they're exhausted from their ministry. And so they decide to travel back up to more northern Israel, which is where Galilee is, to go back to their homes and probably to get some rest. And as they're traveling back to the north, they decide to travel through you're taking notes, a difficult area. And let's read about that in John 4, verse 4. It says, now he had to go, talking about Jesus, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Okay, so John's painting this picture. They're tired, it's hot, it's noontime. Disciples go get some food, and Jesus sits down by this well. Now, it's in this location, and it's at this well, that Jesus has an incredible conversation with a surprising individual. And yet, to really grasp the significance of this scene, uh, we're, we're going to have to understand some of the the, the importance and, and why it's so significant that they actually traveled through Samaria. You see, this is the, the region of Israel that's between Galilee in the north and Jerusalem in the south. And yet it was a region that, uh, that honestly most Jewish people avoided. It had a reputation of being somewhat uh, dangerous uh, area to travel through, possibly today like Turkey or Syria in our world. And so they just typically would avoid it. They would take a longer route. But this time, Jesus and his disciples go straight through Samaria. Now, in Samaria, maybe you figured it out, but the people that lived there were called Samaritans. Now, I'm just curious. When, when I say Samaritan, what's the first word that pops into your head? Good, okay? That would not have been the first word that popped into the head of the Jewish people of Jesus' day. The reason why we think of Good Samaritan, the reason why we have hospitals today, why we have uh, social agencies called Good Samaritan is because Jesus later would tell a story about a Good Samaritan. And in many ways, because of Jesus and because of, of the stories that he told and his interaction even in this account, 
Jesus changed the script of how people viewed the Samaritans. Because up to this time, the Samaritans had, if, if you would have asked the Jewish people of Jesus' day, give me the first word that pops in your head when I say the word Samaritan, you know what they would have said? Yuck. Okay, they had a very negative view toward the Samaritans. You see, the Samaritans were a, a race or a group of people that had really been uh, given birth to because of some Jewish people that had strayed away from what they view, the Jewish people viewed the, the true way, the true uh, faith, and they had intermarried with people that weren't Jewish. And so, the Jewish people viewed them as half-breeds and as apostates and just really looked down on them. There, there was this there was this intense prejudice. There was this intense mistrust, even hatred from the Jewish, Jews to the Samaritans and back and forth. That's really how they felt toward each other. And one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he didn't avoid traveling through the tough areas. And he didn't avoid having conversations with people that others would normally avoid. And with that said, we're going to try to follow Jesus' leadership over the next four weeks, and we're going to have a summer message series entitled, You Asked For It. Earlier this summer, we passed out a survey and said, okay, what are some topics that you would like for us to talk about this summer that we don't typically talk about? Or, or if you had one question you could ask God, or if you had one question that you were face-to-face with Jesus that you could ask that you've always wondered about, what would that question be? Well, we've had about 150 questions or topics submitted. Okay, and actually, after we got such a great response, it was a little bit overwhelming. Okay, how are we going to address that? But I tell you what, there was a lot of fascinating and interesting comments and topics that were raised and questions. And so we're going to, over the next four weeks, we're going to tackle some of those tougher areas to talk about. If you see in the bulletin, you can see some of these difficult areas we're going to talk about. Uh, Next weekend, we're going to talk about disasters and tragedies. A number of you ask, how do you make sense of when bad stuff happens to good people? Okay, so we're going to we're going to talk about that. The following week, uh, and this was a, a one that came up often, is how should we as a church, uh, what should be a loving and uh, loving response to the LGBT community? Okay. Uh, the next week, we're going to talk about issues of creation, end times, heaven, and hell. And then the following, final week, we're going to talk about things that typically you say you shouldn't talk about together. We're going to talk about Jesus, religion, and politics. Okay. So, So we want to invite you back the next four weeks as we venture into some of these difficult areas. And I want to encourage you to be thinking of who you could invite to join us here at Southwest that would maybe benefit from an honest look, an honest discussion about some of these topics. And I want to ask you also, would you pray? Pray that we can address these these sensitive areas that many of you ask questions about, but that we can do it in such a way to be faithful to Scripture, and yet also, as the Bible says, to be gentle and respectful of folks that maybe are wrestling with concerns in those areas. So we want to encourage you 
as we try to follow Jesus' lead, we're gonna, not going to avoid some tough areas the next four weeks. But let's get back to our story. Let's zoom in on the conversation that Jesus has here with this Samaritan. And as we dig into this incredible interaction, let's give special notice that, that Jesus treats every person that he interacts with, with love, gentleness, respect, kindness, but also truthfulness. The text continues in verse 7. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In the parentheses, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. We see in this text the the tension that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans that we tried to paint earlier. Because this woman is shocked that Jesus would ask her for a drink of water. And you can almost see the shock in her face when she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman and you're asking me for a drink of water? And in fact, as, we, as we'll keep reading uh, in this text, we'll learn that this woman's particular life story is maybe even more fascinating that Jesus would strike up a conversation and, and even shocking in that way. And you can maybe get a sense of that even in this text because John points out that she came at noon to draw water. One Bible commentator describing this text pointed out that most of the women of that culture would have come to draw water earlier in the day before the sun would have got hot or later in the afternoon or at the break of evening to to avoid the heat of the sun there in the Middle East. And yet this particular woman, maybe because of the past that we're going to learn about as we read this text, and possibly because of her desire to avoid being seen or having to interact with maybe even other women of her culture, she comes during the middle of the day when the sun is the hottest. And of course, as she gets there unexpectedly, there's Jesus sitting there, and he strikes up a conversation. Now, of all the people of Samaria, for Jesus to strike up a conversation... I love the fact that he strikes up a conversation with a woman because that's another, uh, you know, that's another social barrier to get over. And not only that, but he strikes up a conversation with a Samaritan woman with a past. You see, as Jesus carries out his earthly ministry, as we read about in the Bible, he truly cared about all people. And in fact, if if the people of his day had social media as, as we do today, and, and uh, that would have been interesting, but uh, they didn't. But just try to imagine, just try to imagine with me for a while that they did. I would imagine that as people would have followed Jesus' ministry, and if they were commenting on it on social media, they would have said, hashtag Samaritan Lives Matter. And of course... They would have also said, hashtag Jewish lives matter. They would have said, hashtag women's lives matter. 
Hashtag men's lives matter. In fact, if you keep reading in the Gospels, hashtag Roman soldiers' lives matter. You see, I'm grateful that Jesus looks past the stereotypes and stigmas that can so easily get us tripped up, and he simply sees a life that he came to redeem. He simply sees a life that he gives great worth to and values. And yet he wants to show this person that there's a better way to live. Now, as we keep reading, we'll see that Jesus, our second point, interacts with this woman with what we're going to describe as a controlling metaphor, as a controlling metaphor. It's my understanding that sometimes counselors will help their clients work through difficult challenges in their life by replacing one controlling metaphor that they've been kind of operating from with another controlling metaphor. Let me see if I can give you a couple examples. For example, if there's an individual that's a cancer patient and they're going through treatment and they're going through a lot of difficulty, how do we typically describe someone that's going through that kind of issue in life? We'll say that they are going through a battle with cancer. And so typically what we use is we use that kind of uh, uh, terminology, even their fight for their life. And sometimes uh, uh, counselors will come alongside that person and, and give them a different controlling metaphor, maybe describe it as a journey and talk about, hey, yeah, there's going to be peaks and there's going to be valleys, but view it as a journey that you're on and that will help you deal with what you're going through. The same can be true for a married couple who've described their relationship more in terms of a war metaphor, okay? As they describe uh, fights and skirmishes and assaults that they feel from the other. And sometimes you'll hear married couples fall into that trap. And, And a counselor will come alongside a couple that's going through that and give them a new metaphor, maybe a dance metaphor saying, you know, uh, begin to view this as a tango, and yeah, you're going to have some trips and falls, but, but if you learn a new routine, you can find a better way. This week, I heard of a couple who needed to learn this new metaphor in their marriage. They were in the car driving through the country, and as they're driving, they, they come across a farm, and out in the, f- the field, there's cows and pigs and And the husband, who's been really irritated with the conversation that he's just been having with his wife, he says, some of your relatives? And and the wife fires back, yeah, in-laws, okay? (laughs) You see, they were having assaults, fights, throwing uh, zingers at each other. They needed to learn a new metaphor. Well, Jesus is going to give this woman a new metaphor in life. In verse 10, when he answered her with this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, if we kept reading, we'd see that this woman is confused because she's still thinking in terms of earthly 
matters. And, and she even says to Jesus, well, you didn't even bring a bucket or rope. I, I mean, how are you going to give me water? I mean, you don't even have a cup to reach into the well and give me, you know, how are you going to give me water? She's still thinking on the physical. And on that point, I like what N.T. Wright said when he wrote, he is talking at the heavenly level and they are listening at the earthly level. But because the one God that Jesus represents both create, created heaven and earth, and because the point of Jesus' work is precisely to bring the life of heaven to earth, the misunderstandings are, in that sense, natural. Now, this is where it gets really good. It's in verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water, talking about the well, Jacob's well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up new, welling up to eternal life. Don't you love this new controlling metaphor that Jesus is giving this woman and in turn giving us this this idea of living water. He's saying to this woman who has a past, as we all do, that you might have described your life up to this point as empty, dry, parched. And you might have felt at times that you were living in a desert. And yet Jesus says to her, and he's saying to us, I've come to give living water that will become a spring of water, ever-replenishing well of water that leads to eternal life. Now, by eternal life here, Jesus is not just talking about the quantity of life, that it will go on forever. Now, that's going to be awesome to be with God the Father and with his Son and and to be with all the people of old that have had faith in God and all the people that will come after us that trust in Jesus Christ. That's going to be awesome to be with all that forever in heaven. And yet, this, this idea of eternal life is not just the quantity of life. It, Jesus is also describing a quality of life, a refreshing, replenishing quality. In fact, later in the Gospel of John, Jesus even, uh, he uses the same metaphor to describe the Holy Spirit that he gives to each and every follower of his to give and grant that new life, that new quality of life. And after Jesus paints this picture and and more fully develops this new controlling metaphor, I love the woman's response. In verse 15, she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You know, as I was reading and rereading this text this week, I kept thinking, How do we try to fill up our lives? And how do we sometimes try to fill up our lives with the wrong things? And how have you and I tried to fill up our lives with things that have only left us disappointed and longing for more? You know, we think if I can just achieve a certain level of success, in this world, if I can just get that particular degree or that position at work or or that right title 
in my career, then I'll be happy and fulfilled. Or if I can just get a bigger house and and fill it with more toys and gadgets, then I'll be happy and fulfilled. And yet we get the degree, we get the job, we get the position, we get the house, we get the toys, and we still feel empty. Or for some of us who think, well, it's not in stuff and and position, we think in terms of relationships. And, And for maybe some, you think, if I could just get married, then I would be fulfilled. Or if I could just have children, or if I could just have that perfect marriage or that perfect family. And yet, for so many, find that, that, that dream of a perfect marriage or perfect family simply a mirage because marriages are, are challenging at times. And, and there is no such thing as a perfect family. We all have challenges and troubles. And so, even in that pursuit, we can come up feeling dry and parched. You see, in the pursuit of all these things, we find that nothing earthly will really bring real fulfillment or nourishment to our souls. And in the midst of all that, Jesus says, come to me, and you'll find living water. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Can you relate to this Samaritan woman? And can you find yourself like her longing and saying, give me this water? It's at this precise moment, once Jesus has got her attention, got her pulled in, got her longing for something that he can give her that no one else can give, that he speaks in to her lesser story. Now, my fear is that Far too many of us are settling for a lesser story. We're just settling for something lesser than what God has designed for us to live. And God longs for us to experience something better and for us to grab on to a better story. Now, back to the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman in verse 16. After he's got, his, got her attention, he's told her, go call your husband and come back. I love how Jesus had the ability to cut through all the stuff, all the exterior, all the facade, and get right to the heart of the matter. As we'll see as we keep reading, that this woman had a troubled past in terms of relationships. This is her response in verse 17. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Now, the text doesn't tell us why this woman had been married five times and why these marriages all came to an end. Possibly some of them had died. Possibly some of them had left her. Possibly she had left some of them. But needless to say, without knowing all the details, I think it's safe to say if she's been married five times and she's now living with a sixth man and she's not married to him, I I would say it's safe to say that she's had some heartache, that she's had some disappointments, that she's had some hurt that she at times has probably been 
very disappointed, used, maybe abused, and, and felt lacking. In fact, no doubt she probably is very skeptical. Maybe that's why she's not married now and just living with somebody because she just thinks I give up on marriage. And in fact, I've, I've trusted what other, you know, what people have said and this line they've given me that they're going to offer me a better life. And, and I've, I've fallen for it five times. I'm not going to fall for it anymore. And now she has in her skeptical, undoubted spirit, she has another man standing in front of her in the midst of her hurt and skepticism and Jesus is offering her something new. I think Jesus has her attention. I think she has, he has her attention because he said to her and told things about her that how would he know that? I mean, how would you like to sit down with somebody this afternoon and they tell you everything that's happened in your life up to this point and you'd never met them before? Would that get your attention? It'd get my attention. And so it's not surprising in verse 19, she says, sir, I can see you're a prophet. You see, in the midst of all of her skepticism and frustration, she's saying, maybe, maybe this guy is the one that's going to deliver. One of the many things I admire about Jesus is his uncanny ability to speak truth into people's lives. And, and you know, I mean, he, he really touches on the sore spot of her life. In fact, when she says she doesn't have a husband, he lays it all out. Yeah, you've been married five times, and, and, and you're living with a six now. But he, he says it just a matter of fact. He doesn't demean her. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't point the finger. He just points out the obvious. I think we could learn a lot about how to talk to people and how to maybe even approach people about those tough things of life by taking our cues from Jesus. But it's in the midst of all that, he inspires her on to a hope-filled life. And in the midst of this conversation that undoubtedly she was feeling very vulnerable she does the very typical human thing of switching the subject. If, if we would keep reading in verse 20, we would see that she asked Jesus a religious question. She says, okay, you Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain in Samaria. Where should we worship, Jesus? You know, isn't that so typical that it's starting to get a little hot, it's starting to get a little intense, and she just kind of says, well, Let's talk about religion. And I love how Jesus, you know, he just, he doesn't get distracted. In fact, if you keep reading, he says, it's not about where you worship. It's about your heart when you worship. Are you worshiping God in spirit and in truth? You see, sometimes I think we settle. Not only do we settle for a lesser life, we, we settle for a religious life. Instead of grabbing on to something which is better, and that's a relationship. Jesus is offering this woman a relationship. But she wants to talk about religion. And after Jesus continues to help her focus on the real issue, finally she says in verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. 
when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And I love Jesus' response. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Can you imagine what went through her heart when he said, I'm it, I'm he. You know, earlier this year, we went through uh, seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, how Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the true vine. This is an eighth one, I am he. (laughs) I am he. You see, here the Messiah is standing right before her. And let's read what happens next. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Now catch this, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. If you keep reading in John, it says that many came to believe that Jesus is the, was the Savior. Why? Because this woman became a missionary. Now, did you catch the irony of the story? Why did she come to the well initially? She came to what? Get water. She came with a water jar. Once she came face to face with Jesus and how that he was going to offer her something greater, he was going to offer her hope of living water, what does the text say? It says she left the jar there because she had been filled with something greater and that which was hope. How many of us are clinging on to something that's holding us back from receiving that better story. We're clinging on to our pride or our rights or our selfishness or our stuff or our addictions. And sometimes we're even clinging to our pain. And we're not willing to let go so that we can receive the better story, the hope that Jesus wants to pour into our life. But as a result of This new, renewed hope, she becomes a missionary and leads others to believe in Jesus. Why? Because she had come to have hope that there was a better story for her. This week at the North American Christian Conference, the whole theme was a better story. The better story that Jesus provides us. In fact, one evening one of the speakers of the conference said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tweet, and if you're not on Twitter, uh, a tweet is a, a message that only has 140 characters. And he says, I want you to tweet, and 140 characters or less, how Jesus has provided you a better story. I thought, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a good challenge. That's a good exercise. So I went back to my motel room there at the conference, and I, I thought about that. What would I tweet? What's the better story that Jesus has provided for me? So I wanted to share with you my tweet. This was what I wrote 37 years ago. Now, by the way, I was going to say approximately three decades because 37 years sounds like a long time ago. 
but that was too many characters, okay? It wouldn't fit. So I had to go with the, the number. 37 years ago, Jesus gave a defeated, insecure, purposeless college student, me, hope, security, purpose, and vision for truly a better story. I found out later, actually, as I was getting on the plane on Friday morning to come back to Dayton, somebody messaged me that I'd won the Twitter contest at the North American Christian Convention. And uh, because of that, I get a free conference next year, and I was pretty excited about that. I didn't even know it was a contest. (laughs) I just thought, that's a pretty cool exercise. But don't be too impressed I won because most people went out for dinner during that break. I went back to my motel room and wrote out this tweet. And so I think there was only about six people that entered, okay? The other thing, I think they were so amazed that somebody went to college 37 years ago was on Twitter. So they said, we got to give this guy, we got to give this guy the prize. But here's what I would like to ask. In fact, today I even posted this on Facebook. If you're on social media, you can follow me. I've always wanted to say that, follow me as I follow Jesus, okay? But anyways, um, here's, here's the deal. What would you write? In 140 characters or less, can you describe the better story you have because Jesus has given you living water? Now, if you can't describe a better story, then here's what I want you to do. Keep coming here. We're going to keep holding up Jesus, and we want you to know that he's going to give you a better story. Keep coming back. But if you've experienced a better story, then write it down. But more importantly, I think it's fun. I'd love to see it. Use the hashtag, by the way. Because if you click on the hashtag, you can see what other people wrote. Okay, that's a cool thing about that. But, but here's, the, here's the better thing. If Jesus has given you a better story, then be like this woman. Go tell others. Be a missionary for Jesus so that others can hear a better story that God has in store for them. We're going to close our time together with a time of communion. Scripture says that the reason why we can can be redeemed from an empty way of life, in other words, from a lesser story to experience a better story, is because Jesus died for us on the cross. We want to encourage you during this time of communion Reflect on the better story that Jesus has for you. But realize it came at a cost. It came at a cost of his life. I want to leave you one more thought before we pass the communion trace, and it comes from the conference. Honestly, sometimes I I come back from conferences a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit discouraged about all the things I need to change, all the things I need to grow in to be a better leader and all those things. But this conference affected me different. And I think it's because it was the focus on Jesus is going to provide the better story. In fact, one speaker said it it took him far too long in life and in ministry to just humble himself and just say, instead of me trying to figure it all out, just help me, God, help me. Help me figure out what that better story is. And so during communion, I want to give you four words to think about as you take communion. The first two are thank you. 
My second one is, help me. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that Jesus died on a cross to redeem us from a lesser story and that he gives us a better story. Fill our hearts with gratitude for that right now. And Father, for some of us who are struggling with a lesser story, help us during this time of communion just to cry out, help me. Help me live that better story. It's in Jesus we pray.